Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Please join with me in prayer. Lord Jesus, we now come before Thee once again, O Lord. We thank Thee for the singing of Thy praises, for the hearing Thy word read, for the prayers and supplications silently offered up by Thy saints, the praises from their lips, O God. Lord, teach us and lead us And to all truth, by thy Holy Spirit, please help me, thy servant, this poor beggar, to be a mouthpiece for thy gospel, rightly dividing the word of truth. Lord, help us to hear thy word, apply it to our hearts, O Holy Spirit. We are dependent upon thee, O God. Send us not on a fool's errand. But teach us to rejoice. Lord, let us now lay aside all anxiety over this life. All feelings of bitterness and regret. Of guilt for our sins, which are many. Of anger and wrath and unforgiveness. Let us lay all of that aside now. As we come into the Holy of Holies, the preaching of thy word. That we might be recipients of thy truth. That it would fall on good soil and increase, O God. Lord, I pray for these here. Strengthen the downcast. Encourage the weak and suffering. Increase faith among us. Lead them to thy son, Jesus, who is their life. God, that we might see thee. Protect us from the evil one as he labors to steal the word from our hearts before it even gets there. We commit this preaching unto thee, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 through 45. Hear the word of God. And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus, moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him, and saith unto him, I will be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, And forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But he went out, and began to publish it much, and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places." And they came to him from every quarter. Dear congregation, 
As we continue in our exposition of Mark's gospel, we now come to a pivotal moment in Christ's ministry, after which he is no longer able to enter into the towns and cities openly as he was before. This event, the healing of the leper, was an occasion of great inquiry for the people. He had healed various other diseases, and he'd cast out demons, even. But would Jesus also cleanse the lepers? To understand why this would have been so scandalous to the people, we must understand something of this singular disease called leprosy. Leprosy is a disease which is so visually upsetting, so personally horrifying to the one which has it, that in all cultures throughout history, even until our own day, it is feared by all, and to all it is repulsive. Leprosy is an infectious disease that affects the nervous system and attacks tissue and bone. One who is suffering from leprosy, if not properly managed, will have their limbs begin to rot and fall off, often beginning with the fingers and the toes and making its way up to the rest of the limbs. Decaying sores form all over the ones suffering from leprosy, which work, works its way all the way to their bones. When leprosy is active, it is also extremely contagious. So in ancient Israel, it seems that there was an inordinate amount of leprosy among them. And some even surmise, some commentators surmise that might have been part of the reason the Egyptians were willing to let them go. Though obviously we know it was God that brought them out. It's still this way in modern day India. It's inordinate among them. And the Old Testament also has extensive laws concerning leprosy and its cleansing. Those who were plagued with leprosy in, the, in ancient Israel not only suffered physically, but were also cast out of society. They were seen as civilly and religiously unclean and undesirable. So both the use of limb and the use of the fellowship of their society and the religious communities was taken from them. Even in modern places where leprosy still runs rampant, it is a disease that destroys a person's entire life. They are cast out of society, they're neglected, they're made homeless, and they're even called the unseen ones in India, the Dalits. I have been with these lepers in leper colonies in India. They never see their families ever again once they come down with the disease. They never experience the blessing of human contact or touch again. Their fingers, hands, toes, feet, and sometimes entire arms and legs are completely gone, having rotted away. And when I was there, for me to touch their stumps, give them hugs, lay my hands on them, and pray for them, was completely unknown to them. They had not had human touch in that long. They are seen as unseeable, unclean. They are forced to fend for themselves, are cast out by their families. Whatever age you are, even little children, are thrown out into the streets to fend for themselves by begging and eating from the trash. It truly is a horrible state of existence, both now 
in places like India and in ancient Israel. But here we have Jesus' dealings with a leper. Shall he heal even the most abhorred and unclean among them? You know, it's one thing to heal wounds, to heal mental illnesses, to heal infections and backaches and cancer and tumors and even demonic possession. But would he really stoop to healing the most unclean among them, the lepers? Our sweet Jesus does. Dear believer, know this. We all once suffered from something much, much more severe. Something much, much worse than this bodily ailment of leprosy. Not the necrosis of our bodies, but of our soul. Living in a state of unforgiven sin as an unbeliever is like unto leprosy. For it causes one to be forbidden and cut off from the body of Christ. If you are not a believer, you are not part of the church. You're cast out of the society socially from the church. It causes one to be religiously unclean and unholy. And we know that without holiness, the holiness of Christ imputed to a man, none shall see God. The spiritual leprosy of sin festers and rots in the flesh of the unbeliever. And even in a lesser degree, continues on in the flesh of the believer. It destroys the limbs of the soul. Whereby whereby a man may do any spiritual good for God. They are amputated. From beginning to end, it is death, death, death unto a man. Sin cuts us off from God and causes us to putrefy even while living. But for us who are Christian, for us who have come to know God through Jesus Christ, we can echo Paul in Romans 7 who says, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? He goes on, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. In our text, we will look at three points. Number one, how the leper came to Christ. What manner? Number two, how Jesus responds to the leper. And number three, how the leper responds to Jesus. First, how the leper came to Christ. We see this in verse 40. And there came a leper to him beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. His manner, this leper's manner in coming to Christ in this passage serves for us as a model for our approach unto God. Notice first, he came humbly by that word beseeching. The leprous man, though he did come with boldness, he came unto Christ, he did not come with entitlement. He knew well that he was at the mercy of those around him as a beggar, as a leper in the land. How much more so was he at the mercy of this great healer called Jesus? He could demand nothing from Jesus. He could only make request. So he besought him. He was not, it was all he needed. All else had failed him. No praying could heal him. Nothing could heal him. So he came unto Christ beseeching him humbly. So too we, when we come to God, dear believer, we must come humbly 
knowing that we are at his good mercy. When we come to God through Christ, we are not in a place to bargain or command God in any way. We may ask whatever we want, and often we have not because we ask not, yet we must come to God through Christ humbly, aware of our spiritual poverty and of God's great ability. When we come to God, dear believer, when we come to God through Christ, we are coming to him for our needs, not he to us for his. Next, we notice that he came reverently. So he came humbly, beseeching, and he also came reverently, kneeling down, getting upon his knees. The leprous man came before Christ on his knees. So even his posture was one of utter dependence and humility. He showed reverence to Jesus in recognition of Jesus' glory and majesty, which was unlike any in Israel. Whether, whether or not the man was giving him divine honor as God and kneeling down to Jesus, or maybe he was simply giving a lesser degree of reverence to him as simply some great prophet, either way, it teaches us that those who would receive grace and mercy from Christ must ascribe honor and glory to Christ, must bow down before him. Believers, through the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, bow down willingly. But at the eschaton, when the resurrection of the dead happens, all people will bow before the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, whose name has been given as the name above all names. So when we come to Christ now in faith, let us come kneeling. Let us come humbly. When we come to God, we must come in humble adoration of his glory, beauty, wonder, and greatness. Next, we also see that he came faithfully, and this basically encompasses all of what we see he did here. He submitted to the will of God in coming to him. So part of his faith is demonstrated in his submission to God's will. He says, if thou wilt, he says to Jesus. Though the leper did make known his desire that he wished to be healed of his leprosy, yet he did so in submission to Christ's will. It's as if he said, if thou art willing to make me physically and spiritually clean, O Lord, that would then go along with my desire. The Apostle John exhorts us to ask God according to his will, does he not? In 1 John 5.14, he tells us, if we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. And Christ himself tells us to ask for all things in his name. What does in his name mean? It means in accordance with his will. In John 14.13, Jesus says, Whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that I will do. And in Romans 12, Paul tells us to have our minds renewed that we might know what the will of God is. Again, we cannot command God as so many charismatics and evangelicals say you can. I've been to many prayer meetings where supposed professed believers stand up and command Jesus to do this or that. We cannot command God. We can only ask in submission to his will and his alone. This, the leper realized, that if Christ was so willing, he could do that which he asked him to do. 
In this, the leper demonstrated great faith. So when we come to God, we must come to him resigning ourselves to his will in faith, as this leper does. He came resting in the power of God. So he said, if thou wilt, submitting to the will of God, and he also rested in the power of God. He said, if thou wilt, thou canst. Thou art able. Not only did the man faithfully submit to Christ's will, he also had faith in his power. Why ask God what he cannot do? God does all things that he desireth. All things in accordance to his will. The psalmist declares in Psalm 115, verse 3, But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. If he desireth it, he doeth it. Not only does God have a will, not only does God have a will, but he accomplishes all that he wills. There is no doubt that he will fulfill that which he desires. The leper showed faith. He showed faith here. Not only in whatever might be Christ's will, but also in Christ's power to accomplish that will. I'll say that again because that's important. The leper showed showed faith not only in whatever might be Christ's will, but also in Christ's power to accomplish that same will. Unlike the father later on in Mark that we see whose faith was weak and who asked Christ to heal his son saying, if thou canst do anything... In Mark 9.22, rather than this, the leper confesses that if Christ is willing, then he is able to work this miracle. He does not doubt that Christ is able, but submits to whether Christ is willing or not to do this thing. So too, dear believer, when we come unto God, let us not doubt his ability to work all things for our good, in accordance with his will, nor doubt his ability to give us those things that we ask of him. Why else, why would you then come to God if you don't even think he can do that which you ask? I thought that also while I was in India with an open theist who believed that God responds to the world and he's dealt a deck of cards, a hand of cards, and he just does what he can with what he's got. Who are you talking to then? No, you must believe that God is able to do that which he is willing. So when we come, we must believe that God is able to do that which he wills. Let's not doubt his ability to give us those things that we ask of him. Rather, let us boldly approach the throne of grace as his children, knowing that he is able to do all that he is willing to do. Let us heed the Apostle James' words and avoid the faithless folly of double-mindedness which asks God to do whatever we're unsure he's even able to do. In James 1, verses 5 through 8, the apostle writes, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given unto him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth, is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he will receive anything of the Lord. 
A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Meaning if you come unto God asking for something you don't even believe he can do, that's not coming in faith at all. Your faith might be weak, like the father that we just mentioned, who then asked Jesus, Lord, I believe, help thou mine unbelief. You might have weak faith. That's not the same as having no faith. But going to God, asking for things, and not even believing he can do it, is to not come to God at all. It's to be double-minded. Notice also that the leper trusted in the particulars of God's powerful will, not in mere generalities. What do I mean by that? He didn't come to Jesus and merely confess that Jesus is able to do things. Most believers, if you talk to them, most Christians will say, yeah, God's able to do anything he wants. He's capable of anything. But the leper doesn't simply confess that Jesus is able to do things or even do anything he wants. The leper did not come to Jesus and say, if thou wilt, thou can't do something. No. When he applied himself to Christ, he came in submissive faith, believing that Jesus was able to do something specific for him. Namely, make him clean from his leprosy. He has specificity in mind. God is able to do this thing for me, if he is willing, by his power. So too, dear congregation, when we come to God, let us come to him with our petitions. But let our petitions, our askings, be specific, direct. Pray things like this, Lord, if thou art willing, thou canst provide all our financial and monetary needs. Lord, if thou art willing, thou canst put to death this sin in my heart. If thou wilt, thou canst give me faith to persevere in this trial and temptation. Ask for real things. I've seen this, it's common with Calvinists and Reformed people, our our fellow bosom brethren, that they're so about the sovereignty of God and whatever God wills that they just ask for nothing. God, do whatever you're going to do. But that's not God's means of prayer, is it? No, even the Lord's Prayer, which he teacheth us to pray, has specific things. So we must come to God like this leper, asking God to do something for us that's specific and not just general. Our second point this afternoon, how Jesus responds to the leper, which is verses 41 through 44. Let's read them. And Jesus moved with compassion, put forth his hand and touched him and saith unto him, I will Be thou clean. And as soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed. And he straightly charged him, and forthwith sent him away, and saith unto him, See thou say nothing to any man, but go thy way, show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them. So we see here how he responded to the leper's petition. He was moved with compassion. Let's look at that first. He was moved with compassion. So Jesus Christ, we know he's the son of God and the son of man. And as the son of man, he's moved with love and deep affection for the man. Remember, as with Lazarus, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus wept. He's moved with compassion as the son of man for this leper. 
Now, before we move forward, I do want to address, there's a variant here that's in a very popular Bible called the New International Version, the NIV. I try not in my preaching to deal with text-critical issues as much as possible. I don't feel that the pulpit is the place for that, except for when it's very important, when it's most necessary and relevant. And here, we have a strange case. Arguably, the most popular Bible version for evangelicals worldwide, for evangelicals worldwide, is the NIV, if we're just going off of sales. And in agreement with today's leading textual scholars, the NIV makes a strange and wicked and perverse reading. Rather than Jesus having compassion on the man, the NIV says this, that when the leper came unto him, Jesus was indignant. They take the reading, orgisthis. He was moved with anger. That's the reading the NIV takes. Specifically the 2011 revamp. Jesus was indignant. Now this is a nasty example of liberalism influencing evangelicalism. We have Jesus becoming angry at the man rather than showing compassion upon the man. This leper, this poor leper, comes before Jesus, getting on his knees in faith, in submission, beseeching him, resigning himself to the will of God and Christ's ability. If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus gets angry. This is an evil word forced upon Jesus. It is noxious to our souls, and we rebuke it. Get behind me, Satan. Faith and common sense both reject this. Common sense and faith reject this wicked reading and this wicked Bible version. But yet, mainstream evangelicalism accepts it based on Leading scholarship. In the Gospels, Jesus becomes angry at unbelief and at doctrine, not at faithful petitions from the suffering. We see the danger of such liberalism here in this verse. The potentially one of the most popular Bible versions has people reading that when they come to this passage. Moving on, Christ's great pity and tender love towards the sinner is here demonstrated before us. All who have eyes of faith see what the true reading is here, that he was moved with compassion for the man. Here we see the tender love of God towards sinners and his grace upon their pitiful state. He does not look away when the leper comes unto him, nor does he cast him out. Rather, he is moved with great compassion for the man. So let us remember, when we come unto God through Christ, dear believer, we are no longer seen as unclean, but clean. But clean. And that when we come unto God through Christ, he will receive us with great compassion. Why? Because he has made us righteous, through Christ's work on our behalf. 
Remember what Jesus says in John 6, 37. He says this, All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. That's the compassion of Christ upon sinners. Notice also that Christ's love for the man came from within Jesus. That Greek word has the bowels, from his bowels. He had compassion. He was moved in his bowels for the man. It came within Jesus himself. Not from anything he saw in the leper himself. For the leper was unclean and sinful and cast out of society. Rather, Jesus is moved with compassion because Jesus is good. Because Jesus is loving. Because Jesus is merciful. And we know this is true in the doctrine of salvation period anyway. God does not save anyone because of what they are. For there's nothing worth saving there that earns or merits saving. Only sin, wickedness, rebellion. But God is good. Jesus is loving and merciful and tender-hearted and compassionate to us poor, pitiable sinners. That's the beauty of the gospel. That we who deserve it the least are given the most love, the most grace. Not because of anything within us, but because of him. Christ was moved for the man because Christ is good. Remember in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul writes this. After telling us, saying that he has quickened us, he's made us alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. We followed after Satan, we followed after the desires of our flesh. And yet he says, but God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ By grace, ye are saved. For his great love wherewith he loved us. I have to tell myself this often in preaching and in talking to others. I tell them this as well. When they are struggling with believing God loves them. And they say, but, but, but I do this, but I do that. The only person who gets to say, but, is God. You are wicked and deserve nothing of his grace and love. But God, because of his great love, has given it to you freely. By grace are you saved. Next, what do we see Jesus do in his response to the leper? He put forth his hand and touched him, our text says. Again, as I mentioned, leprosy, you could not touch. You'd become ceremonially unclean. You could even contract the illness yourself and be cast out. But Jesus puts forth his hand and touched him. Jesus was neither neither put off by the man's uncleanness, nor was he in fear of being contaminated himself with the man's uncleanness. Christ is the cleanser of all uncleanness. He is not the one who gets contaminated with it. He freely took upon our uncleanness, our sin upon him. He had none of his own. Nor was he touched with our infirmity so that it was transmitted to him. Rather, he took it upon himself freely. He is not one who can be contaminated with it. As James 1.13 says, Let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. Now, the high Calvinist commentator Robert Hawker in the 1800s 
wrote this wonderful comment here, and I wanted to read it to you. Quote, Touching a leper. Yes, Jesus, though made in the likeness of sinful flesh, contracted none of our pollutions when taking our flesh. His unspotted purity could not be defiled by an union with our nature. The sun shines and imparts all its warmings, healings, life-giving properties, but yet contracts no defilement from the dunghill objects to which it communicates those blessings. And Jesus sheds his blissful, sin-withering, soul-cleansing influence without being tainted with the maladies of defiled churches and defiled souls into which he shines, and on which he ariseth as the sun of righteousness with healing in his wings, Malachi 4.2. That is the glory and beauty of Christ, that he can touch us. He can place his righteousness upon us. He can have compassion on us, and we don't contaminate him. His beauty, his holiness, his righteousness cannot be polluted. Rather, anything upon which his light shines is purified. Then what did Jesus say? He touches him. And he says, I will be thou clean. When Christ, as the Son of God, speaks, it is immediately so. Christ's word goes out to heal, and it shall heal indeed. The psalmist says in Psalm 107, verse 20, He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. And Jesus says in John 15, 3, Now ye are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. His word, Christ's word, accomplishes all that it is sent out to do. It does not return unto him void. His wills and shalls are wills and shalls indeed. Notice here also the divinity of Jesus. As himself the word of God, merely a word is spoken from his lips and this man is healed. With only a word, the worlds were brought into existence out of nothing. But in the conversion of a sinner into a saint, a far greater miracle is performed than either the healing of this leper or the creation of the world ex nihilo out of nothing. In the former, Christ simply made this man's body, which was contaminated with an illness, whole. And in the latter... God brought all things into existence out of nothing by his word and put them into their creative and proper order. But in the converting of a man, in our conversion from sin and death into eternal life, Christ, through the word preached, through the gospel preached, creates a righteous, living child out of a dead and wicked rebel. That's truly a greater miracle. So Christ, when Christ spoke the words, I will be thou cleansed, our text says that leprosy departed off the man immediately. Remember, Mark loves that word immediately, immediately. There was no time of recovery, as we saw before. He did not give the man a treatment program afterwards. Take these shots, take these pills twice a day, make sure to dress your wounds. Rather, he entirely restored the body, and that instantly Jesus says, be thou clean, and immediately the leprosy departed from him, and he was cleansed, in verse 42. So too, when a person is saved, when we are saved, 
when we're born again, when we're made a new creature in Christ Jesus, a sinner does not have to do anything. Nothing. The sinner is totally passive in salvation. We add nothing to our salvation. There is no future justification as some teachers teach today. Where we are somewhat initially justified, as the Roman Catholic Church says, and then we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, doing good deeds, repenting from sin, and then we'll be finally justified if we've reached that level of worthiness to be justified. Does that sound like Paul in Romans 6.23? For all have sinned. And then it is the gift of God, free, in Ephesians, by grace are ye saved. That not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. There is nothing that the sinner must do afterwards. There is no future justification, as John Piper teaches, only immediate, eternal, and total justification. They are not then given a sinner to saint regiment. They are saved instantly, totally, and eternally in the twinkling of an eye. What good news is that? That is soul reviving news. What joy that we can do nothing and yet he has done it all and that we will sin and sin and sin and fall down the rest of this existence in the flesh until we be glorified with Christ and resurrected unto eternal life. To dwell with God in the new heavens and the earth where he shall be our God and we shall be his people. And yet, we cannot fall away. We are saved instantly, totally, and eternally. Sinners are brought from death to life, from unbelief to belief, from rebellion against the God to humble, thankful, and loving servitude toward him in an instant. Jesus then charges the man to go out telling him, see thou say nothing to any man, in verses 43 and 44. Now, we're not given a specific reason as to why Jesus charges the man to not go tell anyone about the healing. But there are a few possibilities. That Christ, remember, was come into the world not to destroy the law, but to fulfill, Matthew 5, 17. And thus, even in his miracles, Jesus desired that all things would point to the goodness, beauty, and righteousness of the law and be done in accordance to it. Jesus says to the man, Go thy way, show thyself unto the priest. And remember in Leviticus 14.2, we are told that the leper, somebody who has leprosy, that in the day of their cleansing, they were to be brought to the priest for examination and then to offer a sacrifice as a certification of his cleansing. Therefore, Jesus tells the man to say nothing of the healing until it had been certified in accordance with the law by the priest, that all things might be done in proper order, and that no one then would be able to afterwards gainsay the miracle and say, well, who even knows if you're actually healed because he'd gone to the priest who knew him previously, had seen him with leprosy, and now he was cleansed and could offer the sacrifice, it would be a testimony. It is also possible that Jesus knew, obviously, that if the man would go and blaze abroad, as we are told, the miracle, as we see that he later does, 
that Christ's popularity would reach a boiling point, so much so that he would be unable to go into the towns and minister as he had once done before, which was the case. But whatever the answer is, we know that it was for the best interests of the man and for Christ's ministry. Now from this, let us learn as believers not to scoff at or question Christ's commands. They are for our good. Obedience is to flow out of a heart of love and thankfulness to God. And not only this, but also out of a heart that is full of trust in him. The faithful heart must rest in God saying prayers like this. Lord, thou knowest that which is best. Though I do not possess the knowledge to understand why I must obey this or that command, yet because of my love to thee and my trust in thee, I will say, not my will be done, but thine. Jesus then tells the man to offer for thy cleansing those things which Moses commanded for a testimony unto them in verse 44. And it was not only so that the man would be in accordance with the law, but also he was to do it for a testimony unto them. It was as though Christ said, Go and offer a sacrifice for a testimony. Let the priest know who cleansed you and how it was done, that it was done immediately, miraculously. Then it shall be a testimony for them that there is one among them who does that which even the high priest cannot do. It shall remain as a record and witness of my power and as a testimony for me unto them. If these people will then use and improve that testimony of what I have done, it shall be a testimony unto salvation. But if they shall not, it shall be a testimony unto them for damnation. So the man did not simply offer this sacrifice out of obligation to the law either, but as an act of thanksgiving to God. Our obedience, dear believer, to God's law should be done as an obedience of thankfulness, of love to God. Remember Jesus says in John 14, 15, if ye love me, keep my commandments. Lastly, third, how the leper responds to Jesus. What then happens after this? Verse 45, we are told, but he went out and began to publish it much and to blaze abroad the matter, insomuch that Jesus could no more openly enter into the city, but was without in desert places. And they came to him from every quarter. The man did not go to the priest, nor did he offer the sacrifice as a testimony unto them. Rather, he went out, published it. Rather, he went out and proclaimed it, blazed it abroad. We may learn a few things from this leper's response. That there is a time, dear believer, to work quietly for the Lord as well as to work loudly for the Lord. It is frequently wrongly believed, and hear me now, it's often wrongly believed that the loudest and most popular ministries are the best ones. And that's often not the case. Often, it is those who work quietly for God in a corner in this life who will have God's declaration of acceptance most loudly proclaimed in the next. There is a time, dear believer, to go out into the highways and into the hedges and to proclaim from the rooftops the gospel. But there's also a time to wait upon the still, small voice of the Lord and to work quietly on what is in front of us. Not always hoping for that next big thing, but what is in front of you now? What has God given you now to do? Not what do you wish he will do in the future? Attracting large crowds and having much busyness can often be unwise even. 
if it's not done in its proper season. I mean, how many times do we see people out on the street or maybe on the internet we see videos of people going out, gathering large crowds, street preaching, or gathering large crowds on college campuses, making a giant ruckus, arguing with them for hours with little or no fruit. They may shout the gospel loud enough, possibly, but there simply are no ears to hear it. J.C. Ryle adds this, quote, There is a lesson in all this of deep importance, however difficult it may be to use it rightly. It is clear that there are times when our Lord would have us work for him quietly and silently rather than attract public attention by a noisy zeal. There is a zeal which is not according to knowledge, as well as a zeal which is righteous and praiseworthy. Everything is beautiful in its season. Our master's cause may on some occasions be more advanced by quietness and patience than in any other way. We are not to give that which is holy to dogs, nor cast pearls before swine. But forgetfulness of this, or by forgetfulness of this, we may even do more harm than good and retard the very cause we want to assist, end quote. So that's important if, if you were unable to follow that. What we can learn from that is this. That just because you're not out doing some massive thing or preaching behind a pulpit or part of some massive ministry does not mean anything, really. Work with what is in front of you. What your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Notice also the man's fervor for Christ. Though he disobeyed, the man did so out of imprudent and misguided love for Christ. He had zeal without knowledge. From this also we can learn. He could not contain, this leper could not contain what Christ had done for him. Like Jeremiah, what Jesus had done for him, the gospel, this healing, was like a fire in his bones that he had to give vent to. And we too should be careful, dear believer, to foster great passion in our bosom to share what Christ has done for us with others. We who have received so much, dear believer, from Jesus Christ must have a consuming fire within us and an impulse to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature and to go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Last, Christian ministry does not need gimmicks, cultural relevance, or popularity to be effective, does it? Thanks, be, thanks to this leper's disobedience, Jesus had become so popular, so famous for his miracles that he could no longer even just casually come into a town and execute his ministry as before. Yet this didn't stop people from going out to him, did it? No. They came to him from every quarter. He could have capitalized on this fame and gone in as a triumphant king, gone in as some superstar. Yet, Jesus remained out in the lightly populated areas and allowed the people to come unto him. Know this, if Jesus is preached, if Jesus is preached, people will come to hear it. When the light of the gospel shines in the darkness, all who see it, who have eyes to see, are attracted to it. Nothing needs to be done to draw 
people unto Christ. We don't need to build a slide off the pulpit that I can jump down into a pile of slime and then give away prizes. Literally happens. The message of the gospel does not need our help or our improvement, dear believer. If the gospel is simply and clearly preached, if Jesus is truly and plainly offered, people will come to hear this word. Now, you might ask me this, but Pastor Dane, how can you say that while preaching to such a small congregation? My answer, are you not here? You are here. You are listening to the words of eternal life, aren't you? Have you not all come out from every quarter of this valley to hear Christ proclaimed? Even this day? Yea, and they all shall come, as many as are appointed. Because I am preaching Christ. I'm preaching the scriptures. And those who are appointed to come shall come. We need to do God's work, which is in front of us. In closing, dear congregation, our text this Lord's Day, we have seen a singular case of Christ's love and pity for us as sinners. Though we were once all as this leper, we too have come to Jesus, our great high priest who has made us clean with a word and the touch of his Holy Spirit. Therefore, let us blaze the matter abroad, exhorting all to come unto Jesus that they may have their souls cleansed of sin as well. Let us continually fly and flee unto Jesus as this leper in humble, submissive faith. Truly, dear believer, Christ will receive all who come to him in faith, faith in the tender grace and love of Jesus is the word of the hour, dear believer. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank thee, O God, for thy grace and thy mercy and thy tender compassion and love to us. We pray that thou wouldst apply this word to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.